0: Good morning, I'm dedicating this shiur to the memory of Lord Jonathan Sachs, the Baron of Aldgate, uh, who died on the day that Vice President Biden was confirmed to have sufficient electoral votes to potentially become the President of the United States, and it's in his memory of Lord Sachs, that I am dedicating this shiur, which serendipitously, I hope, will tie in uh, to his memory. And I want to discuss today the notion of God's relationship with Abraham being one of partnership, but a partnership in which Abraham has to submit at all times, both in this week's Parsha and in the Akedah. The epitome of his partnership finds expression in his defense of Sodom and Gomorrah. God declares that he cannot finalize the verdict of Sodom without first consulting Abraham of For I know that he will surely pass on to his children the belief in God's justice and charity as well as the man's mission to emulate these attributes. That's straight out of Genesis eighteen nineteen. Armed with an invitation to debate, Abraham challenges God's justice by making an argument never before presented by mankind to the divine. Sodom should be saved in the merits of righteous individuals who dwell in our midst. This argument reflects Abraham's belief in the sense of responsibility that the righteous have for their fellows and the hope that they may inspire others to repent. Now, God accepts Abraham's position and accepts his defense. In fact, had there in fact been a quorum of righteous individuals in Sodom, it would in fact have been saved. Abraham rests his defense, and only then honoring the defender does God withdraw his presence, as we learn in Tanchum Ebrechus 9. Although we would have thought it appropriate for the text to refer to the divine as Elohim, not Yudke Vodke, meaning the strict attribute of meeting out justice, after all, justice is being meted out, only the word Yudke Vodke appears. And the Bible scholars considered this a J text. The predominant significance of this text then is Abraham's defense of Sodom, not the individual decision to destroy it. And that's critical to uh, my thesis today. And I want to start with the Medrash in Bereshit Rabbah that says when God talks to Abraham and asks his opinion, he says, Ulai Yachserun chamishim ha Maybe there are 50 righteous men. Well, that's not what the posuk says. The posuk says, Yechserun Chamishim tzaddikim. What if the 50 righteous people Chamisha should lack five? Meaning, clearly, what if they're not 50? Maybe they're 45 but that's not what the verse literally says. He said, the verse literally writes, maybe there will be lacking 50 chamisha and only five. Abraham has gone from 50 down to five. And then God comes back and says, well, no, I won't spare them for the 50. Why don't you try, you know, decibel numbers of 10. So then he goes to 40 and 30 and 20 and 10. Let's go back to that verse the misreading of the literal words, maybe there will be not 50 lacking, but five, not meaning 50 minus five, but 50 all the way down to only five. Will you spare the city for just five? rabbi Chia Baraba. So the Midrash says, In fact, Abraham wanted to go straight from 50 down to five. But God said to him, no, 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 you know, I'm enjoying this conversation. You're a defense attorney and I'm the judge. Let's, Let's go some back and forth. Let's go backwards, meaning that he would only respond to the request of 45, not five. So he ignored the suggestion that five would be enough. And so then Abraham suddenly requests a higher number, like 40. That's one explanation on Rabbi Chiyah. Now Rabbi Levi says the following. He gives us a mashal. <laughs> and he says, Now I'm going to put on my screen, tell me if you see it, Just, um, just give me the thumbs up sign. Does everyone see that? Okay. This is a halaf sadra, which is a Aramaic diminutive term for a Greek word called a clepsydra. This is a clepsydra. it's a water clock. These are ancient water clocks that were used uh, to measure time. There is one, and it was in, used in the ancient Near East and the ancient antiquity period. There's another one, and there it is. This is called a clepsydra. Now, what happened was that the judge in those times would give an equal amount of time to the kategor and the sanegor, to the defense attorney and to the prosecuting attorney. And he would give them equal time because of this wonderful contraption sitting on his desk next to his gavel, and he would give them time. So Rabbi Levy says, I'm going to give you a mashal, this wonderful narrative, l'halaf sadra, to a clepsydra, mayim, filled with water. calls man shehi m'layim mayim hassanig malamed, as long it's filled with water and still dripping, then the advocate may present arguments on behalf of the accused. Pa'amim, and now he adds, but there are some times that the judge is actually quite moved by the arguments of the defense counsel. He's, he's quite moved. And so what does he do? <inaudible> and when he wants to hear more from the defense attorney, he says, <inaudible> He says to his clerk, add a bit more water, add a bit more water. What is he doing? The strict justice requires you have amount of time and you have amount of time. When the water's finished, it's finished. Your time is up, sonny boy. But the judge is persuaded by the arguments and wants to hear more arguments. And so he says, come on, just add a bit more water, add a bit more water, give him a bit more time, put more water into the klepsidra. And the Medrash does not give us the nimshal the explication. Remember, early Tanaitic Midrashim and these early Amoraic, Genesis Rabbah is very early, allow you, the reader, to interpret the Mashal yourself. You're not forced to actually be given, spoon-fed the art scroll version of the pietistic Nimshah. You can make what you want of it. So what does this tell us what is this Mashal helping us in this ulai At rabbi is telling us that abraham is the defense attorney for these accused people of sodom and abraham is making a persuasive argument hashafa will the just judge of all the land Who's, who has a famous reputation, because I brought you into this world to introduce you to the world of pagans, and I told everyone how you were just, unlike Hammurabi, and the Ur of the Chaldean, and the pagan religions. This is how you behave? God is moved by that argument. So when he asks first for a higher amount... And then it goes down from 50 to 5, God says, no, 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 go back up again. Meaning, I want to hear more of your argument. I like this argument. It's an unbelievable medrash. It's so anthropomorphic for sure but it tells us the rabbinic imagination in which God is moved by this argument and wants to hear more, to be convinced. Don't go down to five, let's take it step by step. It's absolutely dramatic. Now let's move forward. And I want to come to the specific three words at the end of our Parsha, in which it says, when Abraham says, and God says, I will not destroy them for the 10. Now, we would expect him then to go back down to the five. He doesn't. He stops then, why? Because suddenly, God had it, I'm done. The trial is over. I'm accepting the 10. Don't come back at me with anything more. God departs. And then it says, Abraham These are the three words I want to focus on today. And Abraham returned to his makom, to his place. What do you mean his place? Where, who, what, how? He come from Ur, does he have a place? Should have said he should have gone to his Bayit. He returned to his house where Sara was. His makom is a very ambivalent and enigmatic place. And there is a, a conflict in the Rishonim and the, the medieval commentators as to what that place is. What is his place? Makomo, and so the Pshuto Shel Mikra is that you're done from you're done you're done your day's work. Time to go home. You're time to go home. He did the same, but his makom is what the rabbis call makom tfila. He goes back to Davni, <laughs> It's beautiful, very cute. But the Sforno tells us to pay attention to the context. Fayela chadonai and God departed. Okay, God departed. Him Tim Shom Avraham. But Avraham went back to his place, meaning right there. And the Sforno says, Him Tim Shom Avram the Lohifsi Kabanatola nevuah. He didn't stop hoping and praying, Ad Shenistal Koshina, until the Shahinah. Departed. Apparently, when you were in a state of ecstatic prayer, you felt the presence of the Shekhinah, which allowed you the audacity to engage the divine. So he remained makomo until God vayelech and God departed. The Avraham Shav, the Sephorno tells us, Shav min makom sheleva sham hamalachim. He returned back to the place where the angels had escorted him. The very next verse is... The, two, the three angels came to visit him, and he called Sarah back in the tent and prepare a lovely meal for them. That's the very next verse. So Siphonu connects the two pericopes by saying that he placed, came back to the place where they had accompanied him. Very nice. He was fully engaged; didn't quit his tefillah until Hashem's presence lifted. Don't give up too soon. The Torah is warning us in the words of the Sforno: "Stay engaged until nothing is left to do." That's al el Now I want to bring you a nitziv because the nitziv really opens this whole thing up and says, "Avram shavlim komo." The nitziv says on the Posik. Le enu so, he returned back to his humanity his human beingness shelo ho sif because until then he had not stopped meditating and praying afal gawsha efshalitpaleo gam belo Following the forno, he says, Although it is possible, in our day and age, of course, to pray and to be mitbodeid, to meditate, without the presence of the Srina, mikomokom, heisir me'elov, iyun elokus v'shovlim komo. What was removed from him was this Iyun ho'elokus. I think that in the Netziv, that's a technical term. It's not what we mean in Hasidut or Kabbalah about Iyun ho'elokus. I don't think he was a Kabbalist. I do think he meant that there was some kind of alteric experience in communicating with the divine, and he didn't leave, even though he could have, until that was removed for him. The Shavlim Como then means he returned not to his physical location of space in geography, but into his existential space that was there prior to convert, con- intercourse with the divine. And now he comes to this crisis that Avram had even though he had been Moshe Nefesh to save Lot from Sodom and from the Milchamet, the king, the four kings against the five kings, if you remember. And Abraham had saved not only him, not Lot, he'd saved, Nimrod had fallen into a pit. He saved Nimrod. <laughs> that's the that's the thanks he got from Nimrod afterwards. He saved Nimrod. He saved Lot in that war of the four against five kings. Once he'd realized that God departed, I've given you your ten Sadiqim, I'm gone. Once he had realized that at that point, he stopped davening on their behalf. When he saw it was of no purpose. In many places, uh, let's say when Yaakov says to Laban, I let me go back to my El Makomi Vola Artzi to my place and my land." And then the Nitziv says, bedas viv. He didn't mean makomi to my house and my land. You should have said beisi Autsi. He knew he couldn't go back till Rivka said it was safe for him to go back. In other places, the netziv, um actually tells us that makomo does not necessarily mean home. Once you see the posuk as not talking about physically going anywhere, it opens the idea of what is a man's place? What does it mean to go back to my place? Is it my roots? Is it my existential crisis? Is it the place where I'm not when I'm conversing with the Divine in Tfila? It means Avram returned to his normal demeanor according to the Nasiv. To being the same Avraham Avinu he was before engaging in his tefillah. That's no small thing. Remember, he went to battle last week and saved the city of Sodom, and now he comes to Hashem with the charge, "Hasho'efet kala yase mishpat." It's a charge against the divine. It's a charge that we, in a post-Holocaust age, have to question the divine calling into question God's own judgment. It's not just Avram's tefillah, but his whole outlook on Sodom, which was rejected by God. The wool was suddenly pulled off his eyes and Hashem shows Avram that the people he fought alongside, the people he was praying for, the people whose king he had rescued had absolutely no redeeming qualities to speak of. Nonetheless, and here is the rub Avraham shav limakomo. He returned to his existential makom. He continued in his Avoides Hashem as usual, unperturbed that this effort had been for nothing, and has his judgment had been off. A lesson in how to accept setbacks. But let's take it one ratchet deeper. The ishbitza goes yet a step further which shows us the profundity of the Pshischa school of Hasidut and their psychological depth insight into modernity. The, the Pshischa and the Ishbits were acutely aware of modern man and his psychological, philosophical distress. And the Ishbitzah says, Ha'inu maser behitzel anchei like the Tziv, after he'd done so much for Sodom. The Ato Ahri rovat filon after all the governing on their behalf abu Rom Lat to save them. Hashem is Bar Heshiv Loki Haim Sone Hashem Od. Hatsaolo roviagasal Sone Hashem. And God shows him that he was wrong. There are good people in the world, and there are wicked people in the world, and there has to be justed, meted out. The Imkolse, now the Ishbit says Despite this, not because of it, despite that, despite the fact that his judgment, his worldview about the human notion of good and evil, not the divine, the human notion from our perspective, Avraham Shavlim Komo. He goes back to his obedience, Hainu, Mekomo Ho Rishon, Al-Tokev he goes back to that original belief, but it, now it is a Kierkegaardian belief. It's counter-rational. It's not a rational belief because it's not a human belief. And so he does it. Hasagoso. It's not that Avram's godless was in accepting that he was wrong without regrets or complaints. He didn't give up on his rational mind, on his rational critical thinking. The blinders were taken off, and Avram nonetheless continued to believe that if he was moved to fight for Zodom, to pray for Zodom, he couldn't have been mistaken. <speaking in Hebrew> I know who I can use my clinical judgment on. I know who is faking and who's real. I know those who really believe in God. He did not rethink his life's mission. Different to the Nitzv. Rethink who he reaches out to or how he reaches out. Rethink his initial impression of Saddam and its people but God said he's going to destroy their city because of their wickedness. Okay. God said that the people who he thought were worth praying for were truly evil. Okay. Akasha, Bavadai, Nimtse Bazer, and here's the grub. Omek, Yoter, Mikafi, Hasagoso. There is something here, said Abraham, that is too deep for me to unravel. Wow. Dazzling ishbits. Something here too deep for me to unravel. <speaking in Hebrew> and according to Rashi, the Akedah is prefaced with after these things. What things? We're not told in the Torah, what things? God tried, put Abraham through the trial of Akedah at Yitzchak, at this refers, according to Rashi, back to this moment in time. The se'ud Avram made when Yitzchak got his milah and the sotan was taking him to task for not offering a korban back then. Why didn't you sacrifice him then? If the 37-year span of time between those events doesn't stop Rashi from seeking a link, then maybe it's not going too far to suggest "Acha had Voremha refers to this story for his prayer for Sodom, and his conclusion, as the Ishbitzer says, omik, he possessed what Keats has called negative capability. He did not seek to work everything out and resolve every kasha in life to be at peace with what he sensed his mission was. That attitude is what set the groundwork for his passing the test of the Akeda. And for me, this is precisely what this makomo is. It is the makom that we must return to in a post-Holocaust age. Not in selling Judaism, much as there are, there's a need for people to do that. I'm not critiquing that. But I feel that to be returning to makomo means returning to that place in Ishbitz this place where we do not give up our critical minds, we do not give up our critical thinking, and nevertheless we stay engaged with our tradition, which means that unlike those who want to sell Judaism, and blessing be upon them, and to articulate so beautifully, so eloquently, our task must be in a position of critique, Because we have a responsibility to the next generation to define what is our makom. Knowing that the righteous one of Israel must do justice. And when we don't see it after all we've been through in Golis, when we don't see it in this nightmarish post-Holocaust nuclear age, And when we don't see what's happening to us as we're being ravaged culturally, religiously, emotionally, homes are being torn apart, our schools, this tiny little virus is just destroying everything. Please see my poem, Unmasking the Masks. When we see that makom, we have to hold on to our makomo. We have to hold on to our rational mind, not give up on it and genuflect in a state of religious salesmanship and trot out moralistic, pietistic platitudes from the medievalists, whether it be Maimonides, Satyagon, (laughs) Yehuda Levi, Soloveitchik, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, we have to be in critique and move the bar to create new midrash, to create new dialogue so that we can engage critically and yet not give up on our tradition. So may the blessing of Lord Jonathan, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the Baron of Aldgate be a blessing. May his legacy last. He affected many, many millions of people, Jews and not Jews. And may we all come together in a a spirit of mourning for his loss. Thank you, everybody.